Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Let me just remind you uh, of some things we saw about the church of Sardis. I don't want to take a lot of time here because I want to have plenty of time to deal with this matter of the book of life. Uh, we, we've broken all of these churches down to these four points, the characterization of Christ. Here he presents himself as he that hath the seven spirits of God. Uh, we've, we've addressed that numerous times. There are not seven distinct different Holy Spirits, but this, the number seven being the number of completion and perfection, the Spirit of God is present in every age of man in the sense of his eyes being in every place. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Those seven spirits are called the, the eyes of God, the seven eyes of God. This deals with God having perfect knowledge. His Spirit, there's no place we can flee from His Spirit is what Psalm 139 says. We cannot flee from the Spirit of God in the sense of his, of his being able to see us. So we dealt with that. He characterizes himself as he that hath the seven spirits of God, he that hath the seven stars. Uh, speaking of the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, those seven stars and angels are in the hand of the Lord. And so uh, the Lord presenting himself as authoritative again. And then the comprehension of Christ, he dealt with the fact that he knew their works. Verse, um, uh, let's see, verse 2, he said, verse 1, I know thy works that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. We dealt with, took some time dealing with, he used the example of a Christmas tree. It can appear beautiful. It looks alive. Uh, you may think it's alive, but once you've cut it off from its roots, it's dead. And even the church there, there are churches that have the appearance of having life, but truly are dead. Uh, and so he knew their, their, their results, their work, their reputation. He said, you got a name that you live. By what men see, you seem to be living but you're dead. The reality is you are dead. And then thirdly, we considered the counsel of Christ. He called them to readiness. He says in verse 2, be watchful. Uh, he calls them to reinforce, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Uh, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. So the, as, a, as a, how should we say this? As a, a whole, the church was dead, but there were still some in the midst of that dead organism that were alive. He said, whatever's left that's living, kind of like a dead tree that's blown over or has the appearance of life, and there's a little, little sucker shoot that comes off, strengthen that, pour the, pour the energy into that which is living. And so he tells them to reinforce and strengthen the things that remain, calls them to retain what they did have, uh, and then he calls them to repent. Uh, verse 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. It calls upon them to realize the future that he is going to come. Verse 4, he says, thou hast a few names. But this is where it brings us into where we're, we're, well, the point I did not finish with. Point number 4, the consolation of Christ to this church it begins in verse 4 and goes down to verse 6. He says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis. What a statement. Even in Sardis. Thou hast a few names which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Uh, now, worthy here gets the idea, oh, they, they've earned this. What makes them worthy? What does he mention here about them that makes them worthy? They're in white garments. Where did they get those? We'll say more about those white garments in a minute. Isaiah talks about it, and it's called the robe of righteousness. 
We get that from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our, uh, the Bible says in Revelation 19, we'll read that verse in a few minutes as well. They made their garments white through the what? How does a person make their garments white? The blood of the lamb, all right? So they're not worthy because they have whitened their garments through their good works. They are worthy because they are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We must remember that every time, it might be, this is important, as you interact with people and try to win people to the truth, many times, especially in this community, people who are trying to win to the truth are not one to the truth because they are holding firmly to some lie. And one of the great lies that this church has to oppose, and that doesn't just mean your pastor, but you and I need to be well-versed in Scripture to oppose, is a works-based gospel, and it's not a gospel at all, but a works-based salvation. 90%, if not better, of the people you meet that claim to be saved believe and feel that their works and their performance has something to do with making them righteous before God. So then they're going to go to somewhere like Revelation uh, 2 and 3 and say, well, to him that overcometh, I mean, he that endureth in the end, the same shall be saved. Him that overcometh, you know. Well, if you don't continue to read about what it means to overcome, let's define the term. Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb. What's the word of your testimony? Is that a good work or a profession of faith? The word of their testimony. They love not their lives unto the death, meaning our faith in his blood makes us overcomers. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith or works. Works are the product of faith, but it's our faith in him that makes us worthy, that makes us overcomers. So it's important for us to know. I said this to our, our young men last night, Bible Institute. We got to know our Bibles. We need to be not just know what it says, but understand what it means. And when it comes to this doctrine of salvation, this matter of are we saved by works or are we saved by grace, if we're slothful Bible students, we're somebody who's been more diligent at propping up their lie than they are believing the truth is going to get the best of us, discourage you in your faith. Some innocent person standing by listening is going to stay deceived about salvation. It is important that you and I earnestly contend for our faith, a faith, the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And so let me charge you and challenge you tonight. And, I, and I'm thankful this is a Bible-reading church. I don't doubt that for a minute. This is a church, including our young people, that take time to read your Bible, and I commend you for that. But let's take it a step farther. Let's not just read our Bibles. Let's be swordsmen with our Bibles, amen? Not to cut people's head off, but to deal with the enemy, Satan, and to be able to I use the Word of God to help people understand the truth. And so uh, that's not really the whole message for tonight. But when we look at this, he says, there are those uh, here that have not defiled their garments. They are, they're going to walk with him in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, he that overcometh, the same should be clothed in white raiment. Uh, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Under this matter of his consolation, there's first that acknowledgement. There are those even in Sardis who've not defiled their garments. There are those there who have been true to the Word of God, been true to the Lord Jesus Christ, even in Sardis. I believe this. It's another important, important point for us to remember. How many of you have heard of the Elijah syndrome? Meaning it's just me. I'm the only one that's faithful. Um, I'm the only one that's holding true. May I say this? There are, even in some places, in some churches, where the whole church is compromised, a whole denomination is compromised, even there you'll find people 
Then in the midst of that, are saying, I'm not changing. I'm not departing from the truth of God's word. One of the sad things I've observed in my life is watch, watching churches uh, change from living to be a church that pleases Christ to a church that pleases the world. And you have an older generation that is stuck in that church. I know some older people, they're beyond 70 years of age, and they're in a church. They've watched their church's doctrine change. They've watched their church's music change. I personally think you ought to leave. <laughs> But I'll also say this, there they are, they have not, the Lord says, even in Sardis, here you are in Sardis, and this whole church has a name that's living, but it's dead. But even among you, there are some who are faithful. God always reserves a remnant for himself. Amen? Even in America, there are still faithful churches. There are not many, but there are some. Amen? I would say, you, you, you can think about places, even in Europe, there are some places that are faithful. It's been a joy to me for, for whatever reason the Lord's doing over the last two years. And I, I, I think part of this is the Lord sending the kings out of here. They interacted with a lot of churches. But it has been a privilege to be able to meet and get to know more pastors. Uh, I've, I've started wading into the little deeper into the social media world. Uh, I don't like it much, but I'm there. And so I get to meet pastors and talk to them through that medium. That's one of the good aspects of it. And getting to do that, you realize there are more faithful people than you think. There are more people. Now, you can look at that the other way. So look at how much corruption's out there. There is. I try to avoid all that, right? I try to stay away from that nonsense. But one of the joys is getting to meet people that are like-minded. They believe God's word is true. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They love him fervently. You've never heard their name. We may not hear their name till glory. But they've not defiled their garments. Amen. And the Lord acknowledges that, that even in Sardis, a place where the, the general consensus was people have defiled their garments with the air of the world and with the sins of the world and have denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But there were some, and the Lord acknowledges there were some there that were, and they were going to walk with him and wipe for their worthy. And then he goes on and gives them some assurance. So verse 4 is his acknowledgement, but in verse 5 is his assurance. Now, this is what I, I, I read. I'm reading right now primarily three, three fellows, reading four, I guess, to some degree, to help me in the book of Revelation. And one of the things, I don't remember which author it was that pointed out, uh, wrote about verse 5 from the standpoint of it being assurance. And it's sure enough true. Look what he says. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, I'll make more about that point in just a moment, but we've entitled this point, His Assurance, and because that's what he's saying. Some of you are overcomers. You, you have faith in the blood of the lamb. That's why your garments are white. They overcame him. Uh, but through, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, Revelation 12, 11. So those that do overcome, I'm going to give you some assuring words. If you're an overcomer through faith in Christ, here is a promise to you. Your name's in the book and it's never coming out. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now the person that says you can lose your salvation, they're going to run to this verse and say, now looky there, you can have your name blotted out. Not if you've overcome. He said the opposite. He said if you're an overcomer, and you have to get, we overcome. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. If you are trusting Jesus Christ, your name is there to stay. He put it there, and it's not coming out. And so again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. In his words of assurance, the first thing he says is, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. Now let's look at a few verses that, that uh, address this matter of, of white raiment. Uh, Revelation 4 
verse 4. Revelation 4, verse 4 speaks of uh, the white raiment. And I intended to write down my text in Isaiah. I believe it's Isaiah 61, so we'll go there in just a moment. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they, lay, they had on their heads crowns of gold. Uh, now Revelation 7. Revelation 7. We find this theme throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation 7, verse 9. And after, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples, people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all, and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, uh, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom um, and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I'm glad to know how you get a white robe. It is through the blood. Your righteousness and mine is accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. That's what gives us clean garments. Amen. Revelation chapter 19 verse 8. And then we'll go over to Isaiah. Revelation 19 verse 8. <clears throat> verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So the Lord Jesus says, To him that overcometh, you'll be, you'll be given white raiment. And that white raiment is the righteousness of the saints. And that righteousness is given to us through the blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are washed, Revelation 1, 5 says, He's washed us from our sins in His blood. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us a clear account with God. Amen? It wiped our, it wiped our record clean. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives you a good conscience. Amen? It's, his, it's confidence in His blood, knowing I can never atone for my own sins, but they have been fully atoned for through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the ground from which we overcome. We overcome personal temptation not by self-confidence, but by confidence in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What has been necessary to forgive my sins has been paid in full. And when the devil comes along and accuses you, you know what the devil is. You, you study him in the Bible. The Bible calls him in Job the king of terrors. What is the primary goal of terrorism? Fear. And there's a specific kind of fear. Some fear is good. The fear of God is good. But this kind of fear is, what, would we, what word would we use for the kind of fear that terrorism strikes in you? When we use fear to control people, what is that called? Intimidation. He's an intimidator. Meaning, I'm going to put pressure on you so you'll do what I want. When Satan holds your sins over your head and holds the wrath of God over you, is to put fear in your heart and to manipulate you and intimidate you. But the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That word fear there means intimidation. 
And here's the point. Our victory over the devil, our victory over the world that lives under his, his command and operation is the blood of Jesus Christ. And they overcame him, Revelation 12, 11. Uh, the, the, the accuser of the brethren was cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they loved not their lives unto the death. Uh, meaning, he gave them, the blood of Christ gave them full victory over the fear of death, over the fear of Satan. And we need to get that clear. This white raiment is made white through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible could not be clear. It is not made white. The soap that cleanses our filthy lives is not our good works. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. It's not what we've done for him, but what he's done for us. Isaiah 61. By the way, if that seems minor, it's an easy statement to make. Not what we've done for him, but what he's done for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 deal with why that is so important. Works-based salvation is based in what? Pride. It is based in pride. That's why it appeals to our flesh, and it does. It appeals to my flesh and yours, but if you're a child of God, you know it's not true. Whereas a Bible-based salvation is based in humility and faith. Faith requires us to humble ourselves because we have to trust someone other than ourselves, not ourselves. And so we know that this matter of works-based salvation, so-called, is not of God. It's based in pride. Uh, Isaiah, I'm, I'm going to say Isaiah 61, but again, I failed to write this down. But here it is, Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Uh, verse 11, For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. That sounds like what we just read in Revelation, does it not? And that's because it's all written by the same author. Amen? And so his acknowledgement, verse 4 of Revelation 3 his assurance in verse 5, he begins with assuring them of the white raiment that the overcomer will receive. And then he goes on to say this in verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Now there's an entire message could be preached about the Lord confessing our name before God the Father. He said, If we will not confess him before men... He will not confess us before the Father. Let me ask you this. Is confessing Jesus before men a good work whereby we are saved? No, we're not saved by works. What is it evidence of, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10? A heartfelt faith. If I say I believe something, but I won't tell anybody I believe it, there's something wrong. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confessing Jesus before men is confessing before men. I believe that Jesus Christ is who God says he is. I believe the record of Scripture about Jesus Christ. I believe he's the creator. I believe he's the only way of salvation. I believe he's sinless. I believe he's raised from the dead. I believe only he can save. I believe only he has righteousness. I believe all those things. That's, and you don't have to confess all those things. It's to confess him. Uh, we understand many people teach confessing your sins for salvation. No, 
You can know your sins and confess them, but you need to confess the one that's able to save you from your sins. And so uh, there's a whole message could be preached on having our name confessed, but the context here is, is if you're an overcomer, your name's going to be confessed before the Father. Again, it's written from the standpoint of assurance. But let's, let's, let's break this down because as we read our Bible and you've been taught that your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life when you got saved, uh, then it sounds like there's the possibility you can get it blotted out, does it not? Let me play devil's advocate. I'll give you another verse. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. Go to Exodus chapter 32, if you would. Exodus chapter 32. We're going to do some spiritual gymnastics here this evening. Try to strengthen uh, the spiritual muscles a little bit. Exodus chapter 32, verses 32 and 33. Moses here is pleading for the nation of Israel. They've sinned, and God is going to, he's threatening to wipe them out, right? Uh, And it's the only time in your Bible you're going to find a dash there in verse 32 and then nothing behind it. Moses says this in his prayer to God, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, it's as though he just stops in mid-sentence. Thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. What's Moses saying? Blot Blot my name out of the book. All the way back in Exodus Moses had an understanding that there's a book of life in heaven, God writing down the names of those who belong in heaven, right, who are going to spend eternity with him. And he says, if you won't forgive them, blot me out in their place. Moses having the heart of Christ to say, I would be willing to lose my place in eternity with you if you'll save them. Now, Moses couldn't do that because he's not the Savior. That's why God told him no. But notice, he does mention having his name blotted out of the book. And he says, verse 33, And the Lord said to Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. There it is again. If you've sinned against me, so you're not the one that sinned against me. It's the nation of Israel that did. He says, Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. So, Hold these things in your mind. I'll give you a thought here in just a moment. Let's consider three things about the book of life as it's stated here in uh, Revelation chapter 3. So it sounds like you can have your name blotted out of the book. If If I were to ask you, when do you think your name was written in the book of life, what would you say? What are we taught? Here's one of those little statements we made. When you got born again. I've said it. I'm sure I have. When you get saved, God writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. As we study the whole of Scripture, it doesn't appear that way. It appears to me that when you were conceived in the womb, God wrote your name in his book. And if you die without Christ, he blots it out. And I believe I can prove that to you from the Bible. Because the Bible says in Psalm 139, we'll see in a minute, that he he records all of our members in his book. How many people did Jesus die for? So potentially, how many people could be saved? But they won't all. How many births are there? Two potential, all right? How many deaths are there? Two potential. The Bible speaks of two births. It speaks of two deaths. I believe this. When you're conceived in the womb, and again, as I study the Scripture, I believe your name is put in God's book. And you live and you have an opportunity to receive the righteousness of Christ. And you reject that righteousness. You die without Christ. Your your name is blotted out of the book. All right? So let's consider those three things I want to say. First of all, Let's, 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 let's get clear on what the statement doesn't mean, blotting the name out of the book of life. It doesn't mean that after Jesus has saved you, he's going to take away your salvation. Now, why doesn't it mean that? 
because that's not eternal. That's not everlasting. The Bible says you are sealed by the Spirit under the day of redemption. If once you've been sealed, you can be blotted out, that is a contradiction to hosts and hosts and hosts of verses, right? If any man, including yourself, can pluck you out of the Father's hand, then Jesus lied. And so that, that is a contradiction. It cannot mean you lose your salvation after you've obtained salvation. If you obtain salvation by performance, yes. And what many will say is, well, if you lose your faith, well, the fact of the matter is he's the author and the finisher of my faith. So if I lose my faith and I put some confidence in someone who failed my faith, and we just, it cannot mean. We have to start with the Bible is abundantly clear that the life he gives is eternal. So blotting your name out of the book doesn't mean you die after you're given eternal life. It can't mean that. So let's start there. Again, a host of verses. We just went through all this in Sunday school on assurance of salvation. So I'm not going to belabor that point. But here's what it does say, all right? Let me ask you this. Are the words of verse 5 written as a source of comfort or a source of caution? I said we're doing some spiritual gymnastics tonight, some comfort. He's not writing to threaten people. And if you don't shape up, I'm going to blot your name out of the book. No, no. And in fact, when Moses said, blot my name out of the book, God says, I won't. Meaning your name's in the book, Moses, and it's not coming out. If they've sinned, I'll blot their name, but I'm not blotting yours out. Even upon, do you realize Moses was unable to pluck himself out of God's hand? He tried. God said, no, you're not the Savior. Only Christ is. And so, no, we're not going to do that. So it's written, first of all, we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that after you've obtained eternal life, God's going to snatch it away or cast you away in, in contradiction of his own promises. It doesn't say, I caution you, if you don't overcome, I'll blot you out of my book. This is him that overcometh, I will not blot out of the book. I will con it's a positive statement, not a negative one. It is written to those who've put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ to assure them your name is in the book and it's not coming out. Amen? You're going to be clothed in white. You're an overcomer. And then let's, let's consider what I began to say earlier. And I, I won't force this, but as we study the whole of Scripture, it sure does seem... Uh, to, my, to my mind in the, in the whole of Scripture that every person's name is in the book of life until it's blotted out. And the only ones that stay are those who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Go to Psalm 139, if you would. Psalm 139. You might put it this way. The day you were born again, your name was sealed in the book. Well, that'd be a nice way to think about it. I wish that was a Bible word. Oh, wait, it is. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, we're sealed to the day of redemption. Amen? Uh, Psalm 139. Let's find this interesting in comparison to this matter. And I know that God has many books in heaven. I understand this, but David's talking about the Lord knowing him in his mother's womb. He says in verse 13 of Psalm 139, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. By the way, let me just say this. I find it very interesting. We said the seven spirits of God deal with the, God being all-knowing, His eyes in every place. You know what Psalm 139 is all about? The eyes of the Lord being in every place. Uh, and so, Psalm 139, verse 13, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written. 
which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. It, is, it seems to me that God's recording. There is another life brought into this world uh, while still in the womb. You want a case against abortion. God records all our members while still in the womb. And by the way, can you have another verse to back that up? He knows the very what? Hairs of our head. It means he's got a record of how many hairs are on my head. Uh, he's marking those out of his book, I think, for me. But anyway, uh, he's got a record, right? And so the idea would be those whose names are not found in the book of life, when you get to the end of the book in Revelation, when judgment is, is, is given and the dead are judged and they're judged by their works, when their name is not found written in the book of life, they're cast in the lake of fire. Meaning they died, they, they were in the book, and it would seem to me by their sin and refusal of Christ blotted out of the book. And so I think as we study the whole of Scripture, uh, that that is the most, the, most, the most logical right conclusion to come to is that when a person dies without Christ, their name is removed from the book of life. So when the books are checked, nope, name's not there. It's never born again, born but not again. And so then no second birth, you'll experience the second death. And so then um, to our final point, his appeal, Revelation chapter 3. We've seen his acknowledgement, verse 4, his assurance, verse 5, his appeal in verse 6 of Revelation 3, the same appeal he's given with each church. We'll just read it and be done here tonight. Uh, he says, Revelation 3, 6, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. It would be a good time to ask this question. I've been working on a message for some time. I've just jotted a lot of notes on it. And Lord, I didn't give me direction to preach it or to finish compiling it. But this concept, and maybe a series of messages on he that hath an ear. We ought to ask ourselves, do I have an ear? Well, I got two of them. No, no, no. Do you have an ear to hear? You, well, you know as well as I do, you can sit through church and hear preaching. You can listen to preaching on your phone or on the radio. You can open your Bible and read and not hear a thing God has to say. And tonight, the Lord Jesus says, if you have an ear to hear, let hear what I'm saying. Meaning, if you can hear the Lord tonight, there is a message in these messages of the, of the churches. There's a message for anybody that'll listen. For anybody to listen, there, there's truth for us. How many would say, through this series of lessons on the churches, God has been speaking to me? Well, that's good. It means you have an ear. <laughs> and if not, you might ask the Lord to, to do it for what so many deaf people he did in the Bible. Open your ears. Amen. If, we, if we're not able to hear the Lord, that's a problem. Amen. We need to have an ear for the Lord. Amen.